the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. Blessed be your name. Your word is light. Your word is light. Yes, we are set at liberty. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe that, give me an amen. Amen. Greet your neighbor once again. Tell you are blessed. blessed. It's a great morning for you. All right, so the Lord will give you insight. He will give you understanding. He will give you direction. All right, therefore, we declare as follows. One, two, let's go. The Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Before you take your seats, let's do what we normally do. Let's take the declaration of the glory of God this morning again. It's a beautiful morning. And today again, we are going to read from the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Again, let's all use the same translation. Let's start from verse 12 today. Let's take from verse 12. We'll read all the way to... Verse 20. How do we read it? Boldly, confidently. I think I used the right word prophetically. All right? Prophetically. That's how we are going to read it. Are you ready? If you are there, say amen. Amen. If you are not sure which version we are using, say, please help me. Okay. All right. Everybody is okay. Now, one to let's go. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Amen. Amen. That is Jesus we have just described. Now we say it again, he's the king of kings. Amen. We say it again, he's the lord of lords. Amen. We say it again, he died for our sins. Amen. We say it again, he rose again for our justification. Amen. We declare loudly that he's coming back again. Amen. After he ascended to heaven, he will come back again. Amen. Now we declare that we, are, we live for him. Amen. In him we live. Amen. In him we move. Amen. And in him we have our being. Amen. He said he died for all, so that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So we say it again, we live for Jesus. Amen. Everybody say that. Amen. 
Say it, I live for Jesus. Say it again. Say it again. Two more times. Last time, I live for Jesus. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the governor amongst the nations. His purpose in this nation will be fulfilled. We declare it as the people of God. Lord Jesus, your purpose for Nigeria will be fulfilled. We receive mercy from the Father because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. As a body of Christ in this nation, we receive mercy on behalf of the land. Have mercy in Jesus' name. Father, have mercy in the name of Jesus. Cause wars to cease in Jesus' name. Lord, cause wars to cease in the name of Jesus. Send revival upon this land. Send revival into your church. Yes, Lord, send revival into the body of Christ in this nation. Let the revival of truth explode now in Jesus' name. Lord, shut down every altar of lies in the name of Jesus. Amplify every platform of truth in the name of Jesus. The 5,000, so to speak, that you you have hidden in caves here and there, we ask, push out laborers into this harvest field. From wherever they are hiding, Lord, push them out. Those who have been preparing, push them out. In the name of Jesus Christ. Anoint your servants to speak your word. That's what this nation needs. The truth of the word of God. Please, people of God, we don't need political cooperation. That's not what we need. We don't need to gather behind anybody. The church cannot, does not have the ability. God has not given the church the ability to identify one candidate. Everybody gather here. If we do that, we will bring leanness into our souls. What we can gather concerning and agree concerning is truth. What we can gather concerning and agree concerning is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then God will anoint his own Cyrus and place him on the throne. Again, we say concerning the throne in Nigeria, only the one that will do the will of God will sit there. Amen. You know, we talk about primaries. We talk about secondaries. We all know what primaries are, all right? Ah, the party will choose their flag bearer. What we call secondary here is a main election. Then you go and vote. Then you can win, you can lose. What we call tertiary here, for those who do not know, is the final decision of the Almighty. You can win and not make it to the throne. And we have seen it in Nigeria again and again. MK Abiola won. He didn't make it to the throne. One man in Anambra won. After a few days, the throne said, I'm not confident. The throne bent. It fell. One man in Kogi, they were just announcing the election. They said, oh, God, we won. He was dead. Another one, he won. He was doing rehearsal for swearing in. The decree of the watcher said, lie, lie, not here. After those who cooked for him have not been paid till today, I assume. <laughs> who, who will pay who? For food they did not eat. That's what I call tertiary. One of our brothers did that in a, in, in a boy. He won. God told him, do whatever you want to do. You are not getting there. I know what happened to him. He didn't get there. So that's what we call tertiary. So we say it again. The seat of government in Nigeria. The one that will not do the will of God, you will not sit there in Jesus' name. We don't care whether you won primaries or you win the main election, but we decree that only the one that will do the Cyrus assignment of God will be established on that throne. In the name of Jesus Christ. That is our faith. That is our faith. Brethren, let me just advise the church again. Stop trying to agree on things that cannot be agreed upon. How is it possible for all of us to agree on the same candidate? 
We just create unnecessary disagreements. If two of you shall agree as touching anything, let's go to where we can agree. Everything I've said now, we can agree on it. But it's not possible. It is not possible for all of us to agree on one party. As you are there praying, mobilize support for one party. Some people are saying, yes, behind the vote for another one. Because they probably think they know what you don't know. I hope you are getting my point. So they are doing it in good conscience. But they are not in disagreement. So when you want to pray, I like when the Canadian says, hey, I want to pray with one woman. He told the woman, what can you agree on? So what can you believe God for? She said it to him. He said, okay, let me agree with you on that. She was sick, seriously ill. He wanted to lay hands on her so that she would get healed miraculously. He kept on praying. wasn't working. He now said, come. Let's. She said, I can agree. He said, I can believe. Because everybody has what you can believe, if you can believe. He said, I can believe that I will be fine, that the surgery will go well. The doctors have, so He said, no problem. Let's agree on that. So they joined hands. They prayed. She had her surgery. The doctor said she would recover in seven days. She recovered in three days. The doctor came to give her pain injection. He said, I'm not feeling any pain. He said, no, you must be in pain. He said, no, I'm not feeling anything. So God worked his miracle. Because they were in agreement. We want to pray for concerning Nigeria. People want to agree on candidates. Why are we so often? It's not possible. So you are going to confuse the Lord. Because who do I give them now? Should I give them uh, Al Mustafa? <laughs> or do maybe Kachiku? <laughs> or give them Pitobi? Or give them uh, Jagaba? Or give them Atiku? Or I give them none of the above? He said, look, they are confusing me. Because every camp, every camp, but people are praying there. But one thing they can all agree on, he that will rule, will rule in righteousness. He that will rule, will be good to the people of God. He that will rule, will execute justice in the land. He that will rule, will not rule for his own sake. God told the people of Israel, listen, your king will not gather horses unto himself. Unto himself was one thing he must not do. So we can agree, anyone that wants to do unto himself, we say no. Father, we say thank you again this morning. We declare this nation blessed. From the north to the south, from the east to the west, and every nook and cranny of this nation, every square inch belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. As it is written, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell in it. Nigeria, everyone that dwells in you, not only belongs to the Lord, but will do the will of God. And to the body of Christ I say, all things are yours. Never forget that. All things are yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our seats. The Lord is good. Let's start again from the book of Luke chapter 12. We've been reading this for some time. I'm going to start again. Please, you know the way I do sometimes. I will jump verses here and there. Now we know in the earlier parts, that we're somewhere around verse 13, he began to talk about where somebody came to ask him to get involved in settling an inheritance matter in the family. And Jesus said, no, I won't do that. He now said, beware of covetousness. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. They now told them the parable of the, uh, of the, of the rich man whose land had a great, um, you know, produced a great harvest for him. And then the man tried to lay up treasures for his future. 
And God said to him, verse 20, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And the Lord says, So it is with a man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, being rich toward God here is a, is a matter of faith. His faith is his richness towards God. And that will have manifested in his generosity and his refusal to pile up things for his future. In Acts 11, verse 22, let's go on into that. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. Please notice that. Do not seek it. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. But seek. Anything you are doing in life, there's a motivation. There's something you are seeking in anything you are doing. He said, but seek his kingdom. Let me just add from Matthew 6 to 8. And his righteousness. Because that's the way you seek his kingdom. By establishing his righteousness. He said, but seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. If you are doing business, if you are going to work, there must be something you are seeking. And that thing must not be what you will eat or what you will drink. In Acts 11, verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. For that reason, since you are not afraid, sell your possessions and give to charity. He said to them, verse 33, Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor must destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't forget that. Now, we are looking at this running the race that is set before us. That's what we have been looking at for some time. And that's what we are going to continue looking at again today. Paul says something to us that each of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We know that. Now, let me remind us of that. When you are moving in life, that's what we call the fear of God. Know that you are going to give account for what you did with your life. Please, never forget it. Many times people are making decisions, they forget this part of it. They forget the part that they must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You will give account for the deeds you did in the body, and you will be recompensed for it. That's what Paul said to us. That's in Corinthians chapter 5. So bear it in mind. Each of us must give account. So when you are making decisions, just bear it in mind. When you are changing jobs, bear it in mind. When you are starting the ministry, bear it in mind. And then motive 
counts with the Lord. Please, I keep on saying this again and again. I, the Lord, I test the heart. I search the mind. That is, God is merciful on mistakes made with good intentions. Now, it doesn't mean if it is wrong, he will bless you too. But he's kind on it. No, Paul persecuted the church. Yet he said, I received mercy because I did it in what? Ignorance. It doesn't mean what he did was right and there will be no negative consequence. However, it was done in ignorance. So God showed him mercy. We have established again, just trying to put some things together. Now what is the sin unto death? That question has been asked again and again, like John talked in the first epistle. The sin unto death, I said, is that which you do deliberately after you have been corrected. After you have come to the knowledge of truth, you still do it. And a lot of people do it assuming that God will show mercy. They are walking the sin unto death. Now, please, let me explain. That death does not mean that you now it must go to hellfire. I hope I get my point. The person must be eternally condemned. That's the mistake we make. Death there, you see, the day you eat of that fruit, that day you shall die. So look at it in that context. That is the sin that brings forth judgment. It's a sin that brings forth the just recompense of reward for disobedience. And it is when God has brought you correction. Yeah, sometimes, he said, the Bible says, he's mindful that we are both flesh. All right? Okay? He's mindful that we are both flesh. Now, I'm trying to bring out something here. Whatever decision you are making in life, make it with the right knowledge and right motive. One of the things I say, you must have heard me say it again and again, is that one of the things I fear the most in life is for God to say to me, but I told you. I don't know whether I get my point. I want there's but in it, it means you disobeyed. That one, I fear it. That one, I, that is, is something I don't want to hear it ever. But I told you. But I told you. You know, sometimes, yesterday night, my wife and I were saying just about some things. I said, I said, we're doing this for the children. I said, that's how they lie. People tell a lot of lies using these children. They do things that are against the will of God. It's obvious. They say, you know, for the children. What about the children? They are not eating now. They are eating. Are they sick? They are not sick. What is brother? You know, you know what this country will be in the, in, in the another 20 years. That is it. Now, if you reason like that, it is. Now, listen to me categorically. Christians like to hear it like this. It is a sin. That is what is called worry. When you are using the uncertainties of tomorrow to make critical decisions today, it's called worry. And it is a sin against God. You are using the uncertainties of tomorrow to make important decisions today. Sometimes you don't want to say things that don't offend people. But it makes me laugh sometimes. Woman is pregnant. The overstand starts looking for money up and down. What is the problem? My wife is about to deliver. Hey, what is wrong with it now? Let her go and deliver now. No, she has to go and deliver abroad. Now, like I say all the time, you can deliver any way you like. I really don't give you them. Alright? But I ask you why. If you don't know what this country will come to, you are sinning against God if you ever make that kind of statement. It is a sin against the Lord. So where you are going, do you know what that country will come to? Did you not read your script? You know the truth? Most Christians don't believe. You know, I keep on saying that. We actually don't believe. We pretend to be believers. We don't believe nothing. We don't believe. When Lord raised his eyes and looked to make a decision when Paul, uh, so Abraham said to him, choose. He looked towards the plains of Sodom. They were, well, they were well watered like the garden of the Lord. 
when they were writing that, they were describing using Egypt and different to describe what Sodom was like. Why? No, it's for the children's sake. What happened to those same children? See, when you are making decisions, eh? See, you know, I said it before that. And I talk about why not visions. Why God doesn't give you visions is between here and the point of that vision, there are ten junctions. How you decide whether to go left, right, or cross, straight, three possible options, or two possible, depending on the number of junction, of roads at that junction, that decision at each point is what he's calling. In the judgment six, these are the things they are going to analyze. So that is why he doesn't just tell you, hey, do this. You pray to God, I want to marry, I want to marry my gisho. You know, my people say, I saw in the vision, he said, God, leave, leave that. I've not shown you anybody any vision. Leave that. I show a few people, but most of you are not going to see anything. I'm going to bring a woman in church your way. And you are going to interact with her for some time. And I'm going to ask you why you did not think she was worthy of being your wife. That's all. I'm going to have a brother walk up to you and chase with the whole heart. You know, there's partial chasing, there's dedicated. <laughs> one day, one sister, she's my friend, told me about one brother that chased. That is, by the time she finished telling me what the guy did, I said, ah, I did not marry him. I'm just wondering, what is going on? You know, you just see perfect mind, you know, the kind of, of all the men in the land of Uz and beyond. <laughs> There was not like this man from her own analysis. When she, I never met him one day, but we used to gist a lot. She would tell me everything, and she talked about him all the time. Uh, oh, yes. This guy said he married him. Digression? I'm about to digress. Remind me of where I was. Where, where I was was that the judgment seat of Christ, your mo- the way you make decisions, it will be analyzed, and why not visions, you know? You know? One day, finally, after she had finished telling me, I just stopped her. I said, my sister, wait, wait, wait. So what is the problem? What else? Look, I don't want to describe the man here. I never met him like I told you. But let me just describe the picture of him she painted in my head. Handsome man. Hardworking. Very intelligent. Yes. Very, very. Naturally speaking, making good progress in his career. Very intelligent. And would do anything for her. Or she just needs to mention it near his ears. Oh, very dedicated Christian. Not the kind of person we go to church today. Then tomorrow you say, what well, did they do gyration? You know that kind of thing? No, no, no. Now sure, she in day. All the time. If he's not at work, he's going to church, he's doing missions, he's spending his money on, you know, important things like that. So that day I just, now I, I just frustrate. You know, like we say. Now I say, my sister, look, I'm, now I'm tired. I, I don't get it. Is, is something wrong with you? <laughs> because I think there's nothing wrong with him. She said she doesn't understand it. She now told me something. You know, that's a digression. Now, if I tell you what she said, do what is right. Never do what is wrong because of love. Never do what is wrong because of peace. When you have found out what is right, bros, now you have to talk to, let her be hearing what I'm saying. This is the right road. Walk in it. He said, no, I'm going to walk this road. He said, okay, that road is wrong. Go. He said, but that's the road I want to walk in. I don't want to talk to you. Said, don't talk to me. I'm walking on this road. 
You don't love me. I love God more than I love you. Come on, better follow me. This is the principle of long life, prosperity, and happy marriage. Your time, Nego. No, it's very important because all of them must hear it because some of some women cause unnecessary problems in the family because you don't love me. Yes, I don't love you. I love Jesus. What's wrong with you? Both of us, the love of Jesus that brought us together. That is loving you becomes more important than loving Jesus Christ. I stop loving you and I will feel bad though, but I won't change my mind. That's why we are that's why we are where we are today. Adam. Adam was loving Eve. The Bible says the man was not deceived. So why did he do what he did? Because Eve chops. So if you don't chop, you want me to die alone. So I will die with you. I ain't dying with nobody, man. <laughs> I'm dying with the Lord. If you want to die with the Lord, come. Both of us will die with the Lord. But if I will die with you and forget the Lord, it will not happen in a hundred million years. Love nourish that level. Jesus is jealous of even your wife. Did you hear what I said? He said, I am a jealous God. You know what that means? Even your wife shouldn't compete with me. So as I'm loving my wife, it is the fear of Jesus Christ. As I'm taking care of my children, loving, care, loving them, it's in the fear of Jesus. If you, for any reason, you don't love me, then I will now be loving Jesus less. How do you spare Satan in your family? That's how they spare Satan. That's how you spare Satan. The woman who demands love for her more than love for Christ. No, Jesus looked at Peter like this. Get behind me, Satan. Once in a while, you should tell your wife that if, you, if, you, if she does not like that, love me more than you love God. Money came into your hand. Let us um, uh, sponsor the gospel. Let us help the needy. Say, but you, but you promised me a diamond ring. I will cut your finger so that you won't need the ring. <laughs> what kind of thing is that? Look, let's go and get copper wire. Put it on your ring finger for now. I'm telling you, when the gospel has advanced, are you getting my point? When the parents have been done, we'll not be using the extras, you know, all things will be those will be added. I don't turn this romance to the is that the focus of life. Look, romance is as accessory to life. What did I say? Romance is accessory to life. You didn't hear me well. Are you are you afraid to say what I said? And it's only the men I'm hearing their voices. The women are looking at me like, are you serious? <laughs> Okay, anybody who believes, say it. Romance is an accessory to life. Okay, I can see all the women saying it now. The Lord will bless all of you. I've repented. I'm telling you the truth. Please, focus on the Lord. Don't, don't try to be popular. Some of these I preach, that's why this political season. I know they are not popular, but I'll keep saying them. Because if I don't, everybody will be led into condemnation. And then Jesus will not give me double condemnation because you are supposed to be a teacher. You're supposed to have led people the right way. So one of the things I learned early in life, you can ask my wife, I told her from the beginning, if I identify what is right, I will do it. I don't care how you feel. I'll be begging you. Sometimes I don't, she, she said I don't beg enough, but it doesn't matter. But I will still do what is right. And eventually she will find out that what I said was a good thing to follow because it was the right thing. Not because I'm smarter or more intelligent, but because it is right. And I say to women, listen, before you make me change your mind, tell my wife all the time. Give me more information. Don't repeat what I know already. Because it's information I need to make critical. That's what, that's what it means to be a man. That's what, that's what it means to be a leader. Not just a man. Now, once you're in leadership, please. Digression within digression. Digression level two. I know where I was. When you read the Bible, there are some things 
Like now, read Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Say there's a woman whose hands are chains, hearts are snared, all of those things. Say the one that's been to God will escape. But this now will be what? Entrapped. Go and listen to our series, the book of Ecclesiastes. I explained there that that woman is not a literal woman. It's not. That woman is anything that promises you pleasure in life. Anything that promises you comfort. It's not a literal woman. It can be a woman. But Solomon was not, it was a parable. It was a figure of speech. It was describing something. Now, what am I going to say? So when you read these scriptures, when you see man and woman, which is Greek doesn't have any different word. Whether you say man or woman, husband or wife, it's the same word. So you have to check it in context. It's the same principle when it comes to leadership. So the woman will be those who follow. The man is the person leading. Do you get my point? So it can be a company and the boss is the woman. Every other person is now woman. She's man in that context. I hope you're getting my point. It can be between the wife and the children. She's the man. They are the woman now. So if you're a man, so better context, what makes it important, all right, is that in the family, the man is the lead. So he's a leader. So as a leader, I'm talking to you. Do you get my point? All right, so that's the principle. That's the digression within the digression. Back to the main thing. That before the main thing. <laughs> now, so once you are leading, don't just say, this is what everybody wants. That's what kills Saul. It is, this is what is right. And how do you know what is right? It's not how you feel. It's the information that's given to you. And as a believer, you are anointed to interpret. I don't, I don't know whether I get my point. Yeah, once God anoints you, appoints you a leader, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed him. That's how it is. Like I say to people, um, couples, when you say, yes, I do, instantly, in a Christian marriage, that man is anointed to lead. He now has a duty to activate the anointing because it's possible to have an anointing and let it, you know, a trophy, let it lie fallow, let it become, you know, you neglect the gift of God that is in you as a result of prophecy. It slips away from you. It's possible. So two people have a duty at that point to start activating, both the man and the woman. As a woman, you will activate that function upon him by the way you talk, by your attitude. So you talk up and down. So what do we do? You've said everything you want to say. This is where a lot of women make mistakes. You just say, no, I've said my own, and they go and do their own. You have tapped into what I call the curse of Eve. I wrote a bit about it in one of the books. I think um, Fundamentals of Christian Marriage. Okay? But I think I, have, I want to develop it fully later on. Discuss it in details. The curse of Eve. Once you say, I've said my own, and you go and do your own, you have tapped into the curse of Eve. It's automatic. It's hanging in the air. How you walk, decide whether you are tapping into it or you are not tapping into it. What's the right thing to do? I have said everything. What did you say we should do? You essentially put the man on the spot to tap into his leadership anointing to utter a word. It is witchcraft for you to keep on grinding the same point until it comes to your viewpoint. That one is the curse of Eve also. See, if you don't have faith, don't marry. Because you need faith to do what is right. One of the things my wife them, they say, you're not listening to me. I say, you don't understand. I will repeat everything she said. I heard you. But having heard you, this is what I say. And over the years, I just learned one thing. When the discussion wants to continue, I say, I have said what I want to say. She, underst- she understands it now. That that's my final word. And submission is voluntary. I cannot enforce it. You step back and go and decide whether you will hear what I said or you will not. 
my admiration to leaders and men now, especially Christian families, as a man, don't play with that thing. They will tell you, tell you are hard. They will tell you that you don't listen. That's what the people normally say. You don't, that means you don't do what I say. So I tell my wife, okay, say it again. How many points? You have made seven points. Now, I'll repeat all the points. She, you saw that I listened now. Now, let me now put all the points together. I say no. The reason why I can say no is because I'm in charge. One day, years ago, I said that. Why can't she go to Turkey? I said, because your husband is not normal. I said, that's the only explanation I have. I don't have time to discuss. I said, you know what I said to people later? I said, so go, come on, Zivanke. Where is your wife? I said, she went to Turkey. I said, eh? What did, I, what did you say? Who do you know in Turkey? I said, Lord, nobody. And you send the wife I gave you to go to Turkey. Because of that, they, are, they are sending. I said, no, no, no. I beg, you know they go to Turkey, anything. Anything you can buy in London. Buy it in Nature. If not in Nature, go to Abba. If not in Abba, go Lagos. Once you're not in those three places, four places, you are not doing, you are not buying, you are not selling. Leave it. What other people might go to Turkey? I said, they didn't marry Pastor Banking, did they? How many of them do you see, they see, see me say, I do too? None. So why are you saying what you are saying? Because I'm a madman who decided that his wife cannot go to Turkey because he doesn't know how to explain to God. Your father is in Turkey? No. Your brother is in Turkey? Who do you know in Turkey? Nobody. So I don't want to, I don't want to be posting on social media. I'm missing person. Leave that thing. <laughs> the Lord is good. Pastor Man, what was wrong with her going to Turkey? None of your business. It's a spiritual thing. I pray, okay, that money I had beans. The beans said no talking. Leave it. <laughs> the Lord is good. So what I want to say, let's see, at the end of the day, if you are leading, make your decisions rationally. Okay? Based on reason. And once it is based on reason, don't alter it because of emotions. There are some things that are not important. For example, now you said they should paint the house green. Your wife said they should paint it yellow. How is it changing your life? You can you know, those, are, those things are not weighty. You let, let it go. But you said that let's do the roof like this, like this, like this. So, my dear wife, do you know that the cost has just gone up eightfold and maintenance is going to be a problem? Say, no, but I like it like that. Now just, just talk to the architect, I beg. Do the roof this way. It's not because you are being stubborn now, but you have weighed many factors, and the only reason why I would change my mind is that you like it like that. The world does not exist to satisfy what you just like like that for no reason. Nothing that you say women are intuitive. That's a way of saying that you are making decisions for no reason. Have you heard that thing before? I hope you don't believe it. Now I'm not trying to be popular. Everybody's intuitive. But what people call intuitive most times is that when they have guests and they are right at the end of the day, you see, I said so. There are many things I guessed too and I was right at the end of the day, I also said so. Don't make it like it's a woman thing. There's nothing like that. Your intuition had better be confirmed to me, had better be confirmed to me in a dream if it's against common sense. There are intuitive things that don't matter. Like we go to the market, you want to buy, we have money, we want to buy a car. You say buy Toyota. Me, I say buy Nissan. You know, or buy innocent. Let's come to Nigeria. And then I think they will weigh all the options. They are all the same. In your intuition, you can choose anyone. I will go with you. But if I get there and say, <laughs> I said, okay, buy this uh, Toyota, let's say Camry. He said, no, my intuition is buy this Lamborghini. <laughs> you know, I'm going to ask your intuition to bring money. <laughs> I mean, 
what concerns $25,000 with $50,000? I hope you're getting my point. <laughs> now, I'm not saying just be mean. I won't listen to you, no. What I just mean is what? Make decisions as a leader. Whether you're a man or a woman, once you're the leader, your decisions must be rational. At least to you. What if what everybody else says is they, they think differently? You must understand that it is your decision. You are responsible. So they should persuade you. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't do use democracy to now go that way and against what you know to be right. There's a reason why God put leaders in life. It doesn't mean you don't listen to people, though. You listen. When you have finished listening, you now put everything together. The purpose of God is being served at that time by your leadership. So if somebody else sees it differently, too bad. It has to go the way you see it. But your seeing it must be with best intentions. You are, that's why when you're a leader, you have to understand you are held accountable. So you don't make rational, irrational decisions. Just wake up and somebody annoyed you. You now make a decision just because you're angry. You'll be held responsible very severely. You can lose your kingship for it. That's what happened to Saul. Saul said he wanted to please the people. There are some people who want to displease the people and they are, t- they are still wrong. What I mean is that, look, no, Saul wanted to please the people. So he got it wrong. But there are those who want to show they are the boss. So everybody says something. They must say the opposite. Do you get it? They must say the opposite. Not because the opposite is right, though, but because the only way they can prove they are in charge, you will still lose your seat. The way Saul lost his own, you will still lose your own too. Because the decision is not spiritually rational. There's a particular American president, I can't remember his name now, but the story is true. He appointed, now, when they were campaigning, now, okay, you remember when they were campaigning, um, uh, uh, President Buhari, then General Buhari versus President Jonathan, remember? All right? You know, Buhari's number one opposition that says that this don't vote for him. He's going to die tomorrow. He's a sick man. Do you remember who, who was the that used to do that? Fayoshe, thank you. Ayo Fayoshe. He was so, you know, he was so aggressive and mean and ah, he was so against the president. So just think about that scenario. Now imagine that President Buari, of course, you know Buari won the election. Imagine now that he now appointed Fayoshe as his minister for finance, as an example. You know that kind of scenario. You know, what are, what are you going to say? Ah, what's going on here? So this really happened in America. It really happened. There was a president like that. He, this guy was against him tooth and tone, everything against this man. Then the man won the election. And this is main opposition was appointed into one very important position. So everybody came and said, Mr. President, what are you doing? You know this guy? He said, yes, I know. He said, but he's the best man for the job. I don't like him. He doesn't like me. He said, but look around. Find me a better person. Everybody was shocked. I forgot which of the American presidents. He said, I can't find a better person. All the insults, leave it. God will take, we talked about meekness yesterday, if we were here, during our discussion. God will take care of the insults later. Maybe God called him to come and insult us. But as for now, having reasoned about it, is the best person I can find for this job. This nation is not about me. It's about moving forward. This is the person I have found. He's the best person. I know say he abused me later. Don't worry. When he finishes his job, I go shoot him. But let, for, for now, now I'm adding my, I didn't say that. I'm just adding my own to it. 
Now, that's leadership. That is just like Saul lost his throne for not making the right decision in trying to please the people. You can also lose your throne for not making the right decision, which is following the Lord, because you are angry with people. When you are a leader, your decisions must be rational. Take time to chew on things. And before you change your mind, they must prove something to you. Okay, this is how it is. You are like the judge in the house. You are like the judge in the family or in the business. That is, everybody else is like lawyers, you know, um, 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 defense lawyers, prosecuting lawyers, all of them. They put everything before you, but your word is final. If anybody wants to change your mind, you should bring what? New evidence. New arguments, not, not squeeze face arguments. The people are not happy. If you <laughs> and that's the problem with democracy. Countries are not moving forward simply because people are doing things to make people happy so they can vote for them next time. There are projects that will make move the country forward that will take 15 years to execute, but you have only four years. So you abandon it to the one you can finish in three years so that you can commission it. You talk about abandoned projects. That's one of the reasons why we abandon projects. Because if I finish a project my opposition started, he gets the credit. Let me start my own. Finish it in three years. Things that will not last. Sometimes, when we get there, we get there. Sometimes we need what they call an, you have an economic policy that's entrenched in constitution. Don't know what, everybody must run with it. So whoever wins the election, you have to run with this for at least 20 years. I don't know whether this is true or not, but I think I, I, from the amount of information, I think it's, it's kind of true. That when we talk about, you know, Africans, we like to say things that are working well. You know, we use Rwanda to insult Nigeria every day. You see that thing? But tell them, okay, let's appoint a leader to, look for, to also rule for 30 years. Our people will never agree. So I say, in that case, don't compare us. You can't compare a nation where people are always trying to win the election every four years to a man who sat down for 20-something years. is the only one ruling. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's the reality. You look at what Singapore did. How long did Lee Kuan Yew rule? Who can tell me how many years? I can't remember for sure. I don't think it's less than 20 years. So they said that time when a passenger took over, they were talking. He said, when a passenger told me what he wanted to do in Nigeria, I told him that, look, this takes 20 years. You don't have the time. They kind of thing I say, a whole country, you, don't, you need, that is, 20 years. How many years do you have? <laughs> Maybe at that time, less than eight years. Maybe even less than four. So forget it. You don't tell him to forget it. Just say, look, don't be disappointed. It's not going to happen. So that's the problem sometimes when people... You know, when you, God puts you in the position of leadership, one of the things you have to do is learn. They insult a lot of people in Nigeria. They say, I mean, all I do is laugh. You don't know what, you don't know what they are, you know, there are decisions that are made. They can't publicize why. There's information they have. You know, like I tell people, I said, can you see every government have been threatening fire and brimstone that they will remove subsidy in Nigeria? <laughs> have you not noticed it? Everyone, they come with, when, they, when they are not the ones ruling, they say we will remove. When, as soon as they enter, when they show them the facts and figures and the riots that will follow, they will scratch their head and put two trillion to subsidize petrol. <laughs> we are going to remove subsidy, then the opposition will come again. If the subsidy is a waste of money, it's usually come and remove it now. When they show you pictures of riots in some countries, Say, what happens? Say, oh God, they remove subsidy. Eh? <laughs> you will look and say, no, no, subsidy is good for us. Now, please, I'm not saying we shouldn't, re- no, please, get my point. I'm not trying to say remove or not remove. 
I'm just trying to say that, please, when you sit outside, you don't know what people are considering. Like one man, I, I always quote it. He was talking to some, one of his subordinates. I told you to do this and this. The man did not do what he was told. He said, but I told you to do this and this. And he didn't do it. The man said, I thought, the guy said, think, think. I don't give you enough information to think. Just do what I say. I never forgot that thing. He said, you need information to think. What do I tell I don't tell you. You don't know why I made my decisions. You don't know. He said, just do what I say. These things I have thought about, you don't know. I hope you are getting my point. So as a leader, please ask my charge to you. This is how you go about it. Get all the information necessary. Listen to everybody. Listen to everybody. Then with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make a decision. Once you have made it, please stick by that decision unless new information is given to you. Someone say, are you the only wise one? No, I'm the wise leader. What I mean is that I'm the one responsible now. When you are in charge, you use your own wisdom because I'm the one that will sit before the judgment seat of Christ. Not you. Now, what am I trying to say here? Let me just get, you know, remember the digression within digression? <laughs> Many of you say that you like the digression, that that's what you learn from. So that's why I have not stopped it. <laughs> and I know where I was. Remember that, my sister? <laughs> so let, let me refresh your mind of where we were after she told me everything about the guy remember what I said about the guy handsome, intelligent, responsible hard working, making good progress godly you know I would do anything for her and I said please tell me so what is the problem that they were walking on the road she said, Frank, you see the way we are walking like this? Which is why I went into the issue of leadership. And this was one thing this young woman had against that guy, and she did not marry him. Just one thing. She said, the way we are walking on the road now. He said, if I tell him to move over to this other side, he said, do you know he will move over without asking why? The girl wanted leadership. He wasn't giving it to her. Now, this lady was my friend. We used to go to church together. Because we lived in the same block. You know, so and we're going to the same church. So a lot of times we we ride the same you know, of public transport. I testify, she's a stubborn human being. That's my testimony. I testify that she's stubborn. Yet the stubbornness in her heart, in quote, wanted somebody to give her direction. This one I said that she would do anything she asked, you understand, is the reason why she said no. She was afraid of having to take decisions in the house. She played it, no. That my, my husband would never want to offend me. Can you believe that was the problem? That's why I went into all that explanation of leadership and all of that. That's a very illustrative point. A certain young woman told me something once. Another person, of course, no, it's a, you know, she was at that age where you know, her men come and go, and then so she has to consider. <laughs> one day we discussed about a matter, a matter. There's one particular guy that wanted to marry and all of that. When she asked my counsel, I said, okay, forget that thing. Why? Because I asked her a simple question. After she, had th- she liked this guy, just, you know, this butterfly love. <laughs> and he told me something that, after we talked a lot about the issue, and I said, okay, let me ask you a question. I said, can you close your eyes and give this guy your hand? And then he leads you. He said, Banky, him? 
He said, no, I open one eye like this. What is exactly what she did. He said, I open one eye like this. I don't, I said, I, so why are we not discussing him? What am I going to explain to us? When you, look, I said it before, follow what is right. People who are shouting, I, I, Israel, I watched that video, you, you, you sent me the link. As all those people that are shouting, uh, they are transgender, you know, I said, don't follow them. They are looking in their heart. They are looking for direction. On the surface, they pretend. Deep inside, they know they are oppressed. Deep inside, they are wondering who will deliver me from this body of death. Deep inside, they want freedom. But they will fight you on the surface. Spiritually, they are testing your own resolve to see whether you really can be followed. Mm-hmm. The Lord is good. Now, now I need you to remind me of where we were originally, if I wanted to have the first digression. Hmm? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So, the principle of making decisions, and that's why we now went to the marriage as an example. God is checking it. Why are you willing to marry this person or not? That's reason why is important. So that's why he doesn't just give visions because it's part of the training process. You will have to decide 10 different points. So each point, I will teach you. I will teach you in the way that you should choose if I love you. If I see your love for me, then I will start teaching you in the way you should choose. So the principle of decision making, I will impart to you. Then I will test you each time. Then as you follow that, you will find yourself in the center of my will. There are times whether maybe it's now critical to make a decision and there's no time for training. Or the level of understanding you have now, you can't receive the next thing. But I need to make the right decision. They are not interposed with a dream, with a vision, with a special revelation. I will do something strange. I'm talking about each of us must appear before the what? The judgment seat of Christ. These are the things that I checked. Please let me go over this again. You are not a Christian if you are not a disciple. It is the disciples that are called what? Christians. What is a disciple? A student of the word. I don't care how much you pray. If you cannot sit down like this to learn, you are not a serious Christian. Please, when you want to decide who is a serious Christian and who is not, don't check how many hours they pray or how much they go for evangelism or how much they carry the briefcases for pastors. That's one problem, you know. That's one confusion men have. They can carry briefcases. You know what I mean? They just like this, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. Thing. Sit down to learn. So I have a rule. Once you are not a disciple, you don't carry my briefcase. If I let you carry my briefcase, just know that I don't see you. They come back regularly. If I see you once in six months, don't use, don't put evil spirits in my bag. Give me my bag. <laughs> Give me my bag. What kind of thing is that? <laughs> That's the type of kicking all ministries. You can't work for us if you don't listen to us. It's our rule. Everybody here knows. That's why nothing goes on while I'm teaching. We go for seminars. You can't buy a tape, buy a book. Once the program has commenced, we shut down the tape section. The people have come with that. They will not come tomorrow. That's your problem. Because we have two days. So they need to buy the thing now. Eh? They wait till we finish. 
You finish at 9 p.m., that's when you get to bite. The only thing that's, that happens when I'm teaching, when we go for those seminars, is the registration paper, you know, which is at the door. You just come in, write your name, you understand, right? And then you just go and sit down. There's nothing else. You, you can't talk to anybody. Nobody offers nothing. You can't buy. We, we cover the whole books, cover it with cloth. Go, go and sit down. Once I, I used to work with us then, I found out constantly coming late. I called her. Okay, I come. You're always very late. You come towards the end and you are in charge of some, handling some things for us. He told me once to, I said, hey, from now, any day you are more than 15 minutes late, don't go near the work section. From now, once you are more than 15 minutes late, don't go near the working section. Consider. Because you're not a Christian if you're not a disciple. I don't care how much you pray or speak in tongues. Once you're not a disciple, you're not, no, I don't, you're not, I sound like you're not a Christian. Because Pastor Weaver used to speak in tongues. You don't know who Pastor Weaver is. It's one whole movie they did like 20 years ago. So you won't remember. Who, who acted, you remember, okay, you remember Pastor Weaver? What's the name of that, who, eh? Clem Mohammed. Okay, okay, Clem something. I thought you said Clem Mohammed. Oh, okay. I was wondering, this, this, they don't tend to go together. Clem, <laughs> In that movie, was the first time I saw people speaking in tongues for the cameras. They spoke all kinds of tongues. This was long ago. This was around, um, around 2001. Why do I remember? Because I, I used to stay on campus in a guest house there. Then I came one day, and this guy was sitting in front of our guest house. And, you know, I was fegging away. No means to feg. Or smoking away, you know, that kind of thing. And you say in Nigeria, Christians don't smoke. In, in Germany, maybe they do, but in Nigeria, <laughs> our Christians don't smoke. I said, look at Pastor Weaver here. Once you see Pastor Weaver, you know this guy is not born again. And you speak in tongues, you, you may as well be acting. And maybe you're even speaking Japanese, knowing that the rest of us don't know. You go and learn one strange language from one, one Pacific island. And say, let us pray. Begin to speak the language that you know. But the rest of us is an unknown tongue. <laughs> a real Christian is first of all what? A disciple. He's a disciple. That is a student of the word always trying to learn the ways of God. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. When you are following Jesus is to know. To know him, to know his ways, to know his righteousness, to know his word, to know his precepts, to know his principles, to know his promises. To know his instructions, his commandments. Let's bear that in mind. So I just explained that those are the things that are tested in that judgment seat of Christ, which you just, uh, I just referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So because we have that in mind, we are careful to do that which he ordained us to do. Again, a reminder, life for us is not a game of chance. You can't just live where you like. Let me just say that. You don't marry who just you like. You don't choose a character just because you like it. God can use a liking to lead you, but bear it in mind, the choice, the primary thing about it is to be pleasing to him, to be able to do that which he ordained for you to do. Like we said about two meetings ago, we're not doing anything for God out of gratitude. No. God has been so good to me, I want to serve him. Nonsense. It sounds noble, it sounds right, but it's not scriptural. Why are we serving? We're born to serve. Why are we serving? We have been bought with a price. We belong to somebody. Why are we serving? That is his will. That is his command. That is his instruction. So I can't, I can't do what I want because I think that's what will please him. No. He is planned. 
He has planned it. So even though I grew up thinking that the people who are serving God the most are the preachers. Now, which is an erroneous thinking in the mind of believers. But because preachers stand in front. Anytime we go to church, they are the ones we see. They are the prominent people. So a lot of people think that let me serve God more. Let me become a preacher. It doesn't work like that. To be a preacher is a calling. It's a calling. If God didn't ordain for you to be one, you're not doing anything. In fact, you're annoying him. Because he has planned it. You're spoiling something. If I decide, do you know, in a car, the singular most expensive part of a car as a unit is the engine unit. It appears like the singular most expensive part of that vehicle is that unit. The engine with all the controls. I mean, that's where all the power comes from. All right? Now, one of the less expensive parts of a car, there are some that are cheaper, but for its size, one of the least expensive parts of a car are the tires. Uh, Troubles. The tires. A typical good model engine, if if your engine knocks now and you want to buy, not a brand new one, a good used one, for some of these cars, (laughs) they are are up to a millionaire. If if your car is like 2015, 2016, thereabout. Your engine go knock. Just be, please oh, check your water. Oh. Check your oil. Oh. If that thing knock, you have to cough up a millionaire of today. Some people don't know that. But that, now, that's what you used engine, not a brand new one. Tire. Brand new, let's go to brand new. Tire. You get the 30 something thousand for a very good quality one. Four of them, how much is that? Do you see? Now, so each one is kind of not as expensive. Do you know? One of those tires render, if it's not there, it renders that engine totally useless. Think about it now. This 30,000 naira tire, let's go to brand new. That brand new engine that's 2 million, 2.5 million naira is totally useless if a 20, a 30,000 naira tire is not in place. How many times have you seen cars jacked up like this on the express road? They're not going anywhere. The engine is good. The air conditioner is working. No, no, no. Like this. No, there are some aces you used to chew your drink. Yeah, yeah. You, you stop on the road, you buy drinks, you just open the vent, put it in front of the vent. Five minutes later, ah, it's cool. It's working well, no problem. You fill the tank with premium unleaded fuel. Those ones that are red, when you look at it with the eye, it be like fresh wine. Running smoothly. But just one tire is out of place. What happens to the car? It stays on one spot. You're not going anywhere. If heads may start pushing you, you will use leg. You can't use the motor. <laughs> yes, the engine is the most important part. It appears like as important and as powerful as it is, that cheap tire. What about the lug nuts? That is the thing you used to put that tire in place. Each one, good quality one, maybe 2,000 naira in the market. But remove the four, don't have them. As good as the tire is, you are still not going anywhere. So before you start admiring pastors, so you want to become a pastor, you may be one part that may, is not so expensive, but without you, we are not going anywhere. I hope you're getting my point here. Because it's one of the mistakes believers still make. And pastors who are, you know, a lot of pastors are actually very ignorant. No disrespect, man. I'm one of them, you know, don't know too much, but, you know, some people are worse than me. Don't know anything at all. What do I mean by that? Unconsciously, I've seen people say things like, you know, this brother has been faithful, so that's why we allowed him to preach. I said, excuse me. His faithfulness in what? Not that you sense his anointing or his calling. And just be faithful, your own time will come. To preach? Please, I hope, don't let anybody deceive you that preaching is promotional. It's not. Oh. 
There are churches that actually, there's a lineup. It's from deacon to senior deacon to assistant pastor to pastor. And then to, you just keep promoting you out of your destiny. We need to keep saying this because Christians need to be corrected. There are some churches that, just be rich. You'll be a pastor one day. Just be rich. See, you don't have to know anything. Just be rich. When you tell you to go and pray, tell one brother to type prayer for you. Bring the prayer. Put it here. Let us begin to pray. Just be reading. The guy doesn't care. Say your tithe is one millionaire. I mean, why do you need to know the Bible? Just, just be giving that. That's, and they will promote you. They want they, they go and make you the head of a branch. We be funny. Sometimes what we do, you know the reason why we do that? I will say it now so that we will learn, so that we will stop doing it. You know. You know, if once I give you a title, you won't go. I'm not really giving you the title. I'm giving you your money title. No, this didn't work. He doesn't know anything at all. Anything you say, honestly, you say something, you say, Jesus, where do you think you live? <laughs> he does this all the time. I will just say something, one bad people are doing. You say, Jesus, they do that. Bros, they do that. <laughs> Some of these people are so innocent. Were you born in the Garden of Eden? I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, it happens. Because I want to tell people, listen, it doesn't work like that. Find your position, stay there. It may not be glamorous, stay there. It may not be public, stay there. Just make sure you are effective. And, you know, you will find grace. That's what it's called, grace. What is grace? You do some things, it flows very easily. It flows very easily. It's not, you know, they tell you to come and lead prayer. Forget if it's stage fright and all of that. But you just don't have the anointing. You know, beyond the issue of stage fright. You know. They say, come and pray. You use 10 days to prepare. Five minutes after standing there, all the message that you prepare for 10 days has finished. It's possible that it's the first time. Second time, the same thing. Third time, the same thing. You pray and fast. After one year, you see the same thing. Bro, you're not called to teach. You're not called to preach. You see, it's not... It's not practice that makes me be able to stand for four hours, keep talking. It's not practice. Yes, any grace you have, the more you use it, the better you become at it. No doubt about that. But that's not the fundamental thing. It's not. It is that you have a calling. You know, one day I went to my mechanic years ago. I used to drive what to call a V-boot, 300E. So they was having issues with them. And he didn't have all the gadgets. I remember that day very well. So yeah, I had my car for a, a while. So that day was about to finish it. So I had done everything. The Ford distributor was having issues. He had, of course, he had um, gone some ways to improvise. No, no, he had fixed it. So the next thing was that he now wanted to finish. They decided the car. The car was running. So he needed to tune it very well to run smoothly. And there was no machine, nothing. And I remember the guy was using. His, you know, I love Nigerians. He was using his ears to tune a 300e engine, six cylinders, using his ears. Now what I remember is that. It was a mechanic um, workshop area. So there are a lot of other mechanics around, both guys on their own and apprentices. So when they saw the guy was beginning to tune, I know that all of them left what they were doing. And they came to gather to watch. Some guy was said, the guy, okay, oh yeah, raise the engine. The guy will raise it, put something on the turn. You know, you close his eyes so he can focus. They said, the guy, stop. They will check something again. This guy was doing, I noticed everybody gathered, they were looking at him, checking what he was doing. Finally, the thing was perfect, running smoothly. But what I was just thinking that day, I said, my God. Skill, thank you. I said, skill. And I remember the prayer. I said, God, there must be something I do that people will gather like this. That's what that came to my mind. I didn't say, ha, man, me too, I must become a mechanic. No. <laughs> no, honestly, it didn't come. I didn't look at it. I said, ha, look at No, my mom is that. 
There must be something I do that will cause people to gather like this. So immediately I identified it and I said to myself, so put your energy into that thing. So that when you are doing it, people will gather like this. Not for the glamour, but for the display of skill. That's what we are talking about. It's called grace. So Paul said in that Romans chapter 12, he said, through the grace given to me, that's number one, he has grace as an apostle. That grace gives him the power to say things. It's not everybody that could say the way Paul will speak. He said, through the grace given to me, I say to each one of you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has given to each one a measure of faith. So his own grace was giving him the ability to give us, and because of that grace, we keep quoting Paul. 2,000 years later, we keep quoting the man. A husband and a wife has a disagreement, Paul will settle it after 2,000 years. A man wants to make a business decision. He goes to what Paul said. Because through the grace given to him, he had the ability to say to each one how to behave. Not everybody has that grace. Paul doesn't say, however, in your life you will discover the grace that you have. Each person will discover his own grace. The place where you flow smoothly. One of our brothers, it's a pity he's he's gone home to be with the Lord now. You know, there are some issues. But I remember years ago, he told me something. Anyway, he went to university, you know, studied. He's a man, tall, lanky guy like this, slim. He said, children respond to me. That once I enter a place, no matter what they are doing, they will abandon them and pay attention. Because I asked him, where do you work? Listen to this. He was saying I was working in nursery school. You know, it was a bit surprising. You're working in, you know, you're working in nursery school. And I, why? He says, sir, children respond to me in a unique fashion. So don't promote me to secondary. I'm not going to, I'm not going to secondary. I'm not going to give me primary. Just give me children. So maybe the class you would like to teach most, maybe primary three and below. I asked him why. He said, they respond to me in a unique way. One of our sisters too. One day I noticed something about her. That if she's around here now, all right? And um, we finish this meeting. Just give like 30 minutes. You'll see at least seven children have gathered around her. I don't know how she used to do it. When I say gathered, I mean, now, not babies now, maybe eight, nine, ten, thereabouts, 11, 12, early teens. And she's talking and everybody's paying attention. I said, that's grace. It's not an effort. You know, she doesn't, uh, Father, as I begin to go out today, the children, oh, ah, passion for the children. See, once she set tools, you know, from that, not, not today, from long ago, I did, I hardly need notice to preach. Not today. I remember one day, somebody said, Pastor Bang, we are waiting for you. I said, waiting for me where? You are supposed to preach. Preach where? In fact, I was with you that day. When you have, if you remember. Yes. No, you came to my house. Yes, I think. We had to jump to the car. And, I, you know, do you have a Bible? Like, let me write this down. Because somebody had to me, please cover for me. I will not be around. I said, all right. So it's okay. I'll send you information. And he never did. So he told the dad, he said, oh, please, Pastor Banky will come. 
And me, since he never got back to me, I thought maybe they don't need the help anymore. So on that day, the meeting I started, they were ready to praise worship. I'm not joking. When they say I'm supposed to start preaching, maybe by was an evening meeting, maybe by six. As a five thirty, they had not seen me. So the person called. I had to really rush, get something to wear. I was rushing. I had to tell the fellow on the on the. I didn't want to tell him that I didn't know about it. I just said, "Okay, please remind me of the topic again." He gave it to me, that is on the phone. I was rushing down. There. No, you see, I wasn't worried. Now, that is what is called faith—a measure of faith. By that time, I had a measure of faith, which Paul said each one should exercise it accordingly. I'd exercised it up to a particular point in time. I said, "This one, let's just get there first. It's just. I hardly have. How many lines do I write when I'm planning to go and preach? You know why I don't bother. I have learned over the years that the one I rehearse, prepare for ten days, five minutes before going up, Holy Spirit says, "Well, that one on your own between you and your studies. Drop that one. Start with this scripture." And that's how I preach messages like quench, uh, uh, don't quench the spirit. Like um, there's one I preached on, on Valentine's Day like this. What's the name of that message? How to find true love. That message was as I was about to be called that it dropped in my mind. It was Valentine's Day and if you know me, I don't believe in Valentine anything. I said, I don't know who sent Valentine. Who said today is the day of love? Every day is the day of love. The love of Christ is shed abroad in my heart. It's bubbling every day. It wasn't self-deceiving, that's just the way I was. So that day I was going to church. My wife said, please. I said, ah, man of God, I was going to preach. I said, man of God, preach on love. You know it's Valentine's Day. I knew she was mocking me. She knew the kind of person I was. I wouldn't even preach on Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. The birth of Jesus. I wouldn't even start. I didn't use. If you find me, there's a special reason why. Maybe someone would just take advantage of that. Generally, I just teach. If we're meeting regularly, Christmas Day, I will continue what I was preaching the week before. So that day, I didn't really care that it was Valentine's Day or it was Valentine's Day. So I sat down that day. They were about to call me up to come and preach. One scripture just dropped in my head. Bam! And I knew that's what the Lord wanted me to preach on. Draw me unto you. Let us run together. If you were there, you would have thought that men had fasted and prayed on this message for the last one week. And I lie. As you were calling my name, was when I was quickly checking where it is in Songs of Solomon. It's called what? Grace. There's something I said to you before. Let me say it again. If you pay attention to what I'm preaching, just like Paul, I say to you, you will find your area of grace. Yeah, yeah. No, that's my job. Now, I don't have to tell you this is what God called you to do. Just listen what I'm, I'm just telling stories. And you are listening. You will find your area of grace. You will find it. You will. You will find it. Then you start exercising your, because what happens, like, look, initially, you take a young man, a young preacher. You say, don't, don't practice, don't pray, don't prepare yourself. They toss him in front of 1,000 people to come and preach. I'll be honest with you. They are anointed to bless a thousand. It's not the same as to bless five who are in your sitting room. A thousand man congregation, they behave funny. It's not often I'm able to stand in front of a thousand people and do the real thing I like to do. Now, jokes apart, do you know the places I've been able to do that, there are very few. There's a church I went recently. When I entered the church, I saw the size of the church. The size of the auditorium. I told myself, thank you. I have different kind of anointing to teach. I have different ones. I know them. I know them. They are d- different. 
So I said, this is the one you will use for this one. That is, there's one that is milk of the world, sincere milk. That's where we end it. And usually at the end of 45 minutes, I'm done. I thought that was what I was going to use that day. I looked at the auditorium, looked at the people. I just assumed that that's the level. So the size of the auditorium, the number of people there, it was quite a big place. When, when they gave me the microphone, forget that thing. The deep anointing was what came upon me. 45 minutes, forget. They, two hours, keep talking. They were like this, grabbing everything. That, now, that kind of congregation is not common. That day when I finished preaching, they said, because of security issues, you know, they had to close at a certain time. So they told themselves, they said, ah, our pastor needs more time. What do we do? They shifted the time of the program by the following day, by one hour earlier. Say, send the message out on WhatsApp. Tell everybody, tomorrow we are starting. They put it back one hour earlier so that I could have three hours to teach. Now, they are not a common congregation, I can assure you. Most congregations, all you have to de- tell them is, this year is your year of breakthrough. Amen. That's what they want to hear. When they are 10,000, 50,000, 100, that is what they want to hear most times. But when you have that kind of congregation that wants to grab, and there are plenty, bros, you have to be anointed, trust me. Now, what I'm going to say, is a young man just dropping like that, it's going to find it hard. Now, when I say young, I'm not about age, but experience. Okay? But by reason of use, by reason of use, that's why Paul said in that, if you read the American Standard, that Romans chapter 12, he said, let each one exercise it, how? Accordingly. Each must exercise his grace accordingly. Let's just read it. That's Romans chapter 12. Now, that rendering I find only in the New American Standard. In verse 6, he says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy exercise according to the proportion of your faith, you begin and you continue to exercise it. If service, do the same thing in your service, serving. If it's in teaching, do the same in your teaching. If, you, if it's in exhortation, do the same. That is, you will start with a measure of grace, you exercise it, and then it will increase. That's the way it works. What am I saying? Anytime you find that place of your grace, exercise it. Exercise it. Because what happened, he said, look, he gave gifts, he gave minas to his servants. And said, do the business with this until I come. Then when he came, you know what happened? He asked them to tell him what the gift, um, the mina he gave to them, the talent he gave to them, what they had done with it. Not the money they had borrowed from somewhere. I hope you're getting my point. What you'll be tested on is that one. That is why it's important you exercise it. Sometimes, you know, people have asked me, can you do this? I said, does it look like the kind of thing I, I do? The other one I was talking about, I said, I, I told you to help me follow this person up. I said, my sister, you have known him for a very long time. Do I look like I follow people up? I'm not saying follow up is bad, though. It drains me. I'm not going to come to your house and say, why well, have you not been coming to Bible study? You see, Jesus is coming soon. You know, if you don't come now, I'll be giving you scripture on why you should come. I don't, like, did I say it's bad? Anytime you tell me to do it, it drains me. I get tired. I will find 50 reasons not to check on that individual or to make that phone call. I have discovered over time that I just don't have that grace. So if any one of you is saying that I didn't come for five weeks, Pastor Bank didn't check on me, please better be getting angry more now because I'm not planning to repent tomorrow. If one of us will be checking on you, make friends. 
make friends around, you know, greet those who are next to you, shake their hands, greet them, write their phone number down, send them a message. There are certain graces I don't have. And when I don't have it, it tends to be very poor in the ministry that I run. <laughs> I'm not saying this is not there. I'm just saying it tends not to be very good. Does, that's why, see, in a church, the proper church, all right, every bit of grace must be present. Okay? Being a ministry tends to be focused on one thing, which is teaching. A little bit of things will show up that's around that teaching issue. But a church must have everything. People are teaching, we express there. Those who are, who are following Atenabasi, they will express there. Those who are leading praise worship, all kinds of things, they will express themselves there. Okay? Now, what I'm going to emphasize is that in what makes the body of Christ complete is that exercise that each one of us puts into the grace when discovered. I say like Paul again. Listen, listening to me will not turn you to a teacher. I'm saying like Paul. But listening to me we activate whatever grace you have. If teaching is activated, you are called to be a teacher originally. No, my influence will not turn you to a teacher. It will not. You will finish listening to me, you will run into the bush and go and evangelize every bush village available. You will finish listening, you go into your study and start drawing new levels of engineering designs. And please listen to this. When you find your grace, never neglect it. One of the things that happens now, now let me, in fact, the main thing I wanted to teach today, I think I've, I've now gotten to it. Now, having said all the things we have said so far, when I was thinking about this meeting, I wrote three things down. There are three things you must bear in mind if you want to follow God's plan for your life. Now, I'm not saying there are only three. I'm just saying these are three that I meditated on and brought for us today. Just three. One of them we have mentioned along the lines, along the line in this particular um, series. And let me start with that, which is why we read Luke chapter, where did we just now? Luke chapter 12. I'll just give you the list of the three, then I'll develop them one by one. Number one, don't be afraid for your life. If you are going to follow the plan of God for your life, rule number one, don't be afraid for your life. What do I mean? Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid. Will I build a house? Won't be afraid. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to, am I going to be rich? Don't be. Wipe that thing off your brain day one. You know, I've said before, if you want to follow Jesus, you know the first thing you do? Die. Thank you. Ah, you guys listen to me very well. First thing you do is what? Die. 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 What does it mean to die? Die to your own ambitions. Die to yourself. At what age are you going to be a millionaire? All those things they write in books. Marcus Gabriel was a billionaire before he was, th- he was 30. It's none of your business. Those motivational speakers are mostly motivational, con- you know, confessional speakers, most of them. You know, I told I read a joke. I was on Twitter. One guy said, I started my business at the age of, I can't remember the exact thing, but let me just say, let me just put something in it. So I started my business at the age of 17. By 22, I was a billionaire. What am I? Somebody said, you're a motivational speaker. They told me you're a motivational speaker. And that's how they are. So what are you doing? At the age of 30, Max Zuckerberg was a billionaire. Ask the motivational speaker how old he is and how rich he is. So please don't let motivational speakers deceive you. He himself does not know how. 
Steve Jobs said, and he was speaking from experience, he said, no one can draw the line going forward, can connect the dots going forward. He said, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. It's only when you have reached a particular place, you look back and say, how did I get here? And I, I, I quoted Mike Tyson for you, that everybody has a plan, until what? Until he's punched in the face. So don't worry yourself about all those long... In fact, that's my third point. Now I've mentioned it. Number three. Now, I've not mentioned number two, I know. But because I said this, so don't think I'm confused. I know what I'm saying. <laughs> number three is, don't have long-term plans. Some people are laughing. It means the world has affected them. Yesterday, I did not sleep. They were making long-term plans. They now came here this morning. I said they shouldn't have long-term plans. That's good. It's the word of God. Let me say to you again, do not have long-term plans. You can have long-term desires. But don't... Desire means, say, I, I want to fly. I've been wishing I could fly. It doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you can have the desire. Long-term is what I said. Long-term. I've read the scriptures again and again. I've discovered God expects to have only short-term plans. What do I mean by short-term plans? Plans focus on the assignment you have for the day. For example... Let's take, let's take those two people I said they have the grace with children. Have plans on how to use it. I'm in the church. I'm going to approach the pastor. Pastor, do I have a children? we don't have a children's church. Can I start one? That's what I mean. Look at how you integrate so that it does not disturb your own ability to hear the word. That's what I mean. How do I settle down and impact these children with the knowledge of Christ? Sometimes not just knowledge of Christ. It's knowledge of physics, chemistry, biology, basic science. It might be. That's what I mean by short-term plans. Focus on that. Not, hey, after like 15 years, we'll have a children's university. It's not necessary. You can have that desire. I own it. Children's university will go good, though. If desire stays in your heart, write it down somewhere and leave it there. Don't walk towards it. That's why I said leave motivational speakers alone. Don't walk towards it. You know why you shouldn't walk towards it? Because you can't. Life is a gift. This is how it is. When God finds you faithful, you know what happened to those people? You can read that Luke chapter 19 again, another portion of the scripture where Jesus talked about that. The man was going, he gave gifts, talents to people, minas, do business with this until I come. Then when he came back, he said, come, 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 come. Let me see what you did with what I gave to you. Then one said, your mina master has made ten more. Then he said, listen to this. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Now be in charge of ten cities. Did the guy plan for ten cities? No, answer me now. Each one will come. Be in charge of five cities. Be in charge of two cities. Hey, what did you do? Uh, you know, uh, you know the way the country is. Punish this one. Now, I'm going to bring out an issue here. Notice that they could not have planned to get cities. Their plans were not possible for outside work. They belonged to somebody. They were somebody's servants, born servants, slaves. So they thought they were going to be in that city where they were. So it's a high can go make us MDs. So or God will make us MD. That's the best they could plan. Then the master, having conquered new territories, he now came and said, You be in charge. So whatever plans they had there ended. A new one had been made for them. Actually, when the man gave them 
those minas, it was to prepare them and test them so that he will know what exactly they can do for him in the place they are going to. Many people hear what I've said now. They disagree because they like to deceive themselves. I'm sorry to say it. Why do you make it look like your plans have ever worked anyway? Why do people think they just make it look like all the plans they have made ever work? They don't work. These plans don't work. These plans don't work. The more I do you have, the more you can plan, I've noticed. Jobless people can plan. Keep on having ideas. What am I going to say? Locate that grace for today. Remember three things. Number one, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid for your life. Please, that statement is important. Because people come to you. My wife was giving me this yesterday. Or people just carry their family, go abroad, scatter the whole family. Why? They said because of the children. I know what I've noticed. Most of these people, God bless them here. Yes, I mean, most of them. You know, I say, you know, we don't know what the future will hold. I think it sounds of blackness. A group said something long ago. I never forgot. They said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Never forget that thing. If you have that thought in your mind that I don't know what the future holds and you start making decisions based on that, listen to this, you will always miss the plan of God for your life. 100% of the times, you will miss it. You may be returned to it later, but at that point in time, you will miss it. At that point in time, you will miss it. You will miss it. You will miss it. It's a spirit. You will miss it. You are being pushed by the spirit of fear. You will miss it. It is not possible to know the plan of God for your life until you kill fear. I want to say kill fear now. You have to get this, this in, into this I don't care attitude. Yes, that I don't care attitude must come into your life. I want to say I don't care. Now, you know, I've said it before. Listen, there are, the, there are two types of people that look like they, are, they don't care. There are some people that they are totally irresponsible. They are undependable. Even God doesn't like them. Sometimes they now go to a church where faith is being taught, and they hear me say things like this, then they follow because they are naturally what? Irresponsible. And they are the ones that give faith a bad name. So that's how that man did that. They are because of the faith. He's believing God. They look at his life now. After 20 years, never happened to anything. They are the ones that give faith a bad name. He said, Pastor Bankpo, you told us not to be, don't do have this I don't care attitude. Yes. How you know the people that their I don't care attitude is a result of faith is just one thing. Faithfulness in what they are doing today. They are not irresponsible. If you give them something to do today, it will be best done. Let me give an example. He's a young man. What's your plan for your future? Oh, God, I don't get a plan. Just a good church now. We hear the word of God. So what do you do now? I, I work in the car wash there. You work in the car wash? Yes. Go there tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. He's there. During his break, he has gone to listen to a message. He's gone for midweek prayer meeting somewhere. Evening, he's there. Any car they give him to wash eh, is impeccably clean when he delivers. The drivers know they don't need to evacuate, uh, evacuate valuables from the car. They will wash it as a maker. Ah, just give a maker the keys. He learns how to drive. He parks the car very well. He locks the car and washes it thoroughly. He has researched on how to wax cars. Out of the money he makes, he has gone to buy wax. 
Watch the guys, what they said. When they come back, he has waxed it. He invests his money in a vacuum cleaner. He finds nozzles that are specially designed for cars. He opens the car and cleans. Then one day he finds a hundred dollars that the owner lost long ago. Talks under the city. Brings it out, folds it nicely. Seals in an envelope and keeps for the man. When the man comes, ah, okay, your car is ready. Well, by the way, sir, under your seat, I found this hundred dollars. And the man like, ah, I've been looking for this thing for the last eight months. I thought somebody stole it. I found it here, sir. Thank God my vacuum cleaner didn't pull it out. It would have entered into the dustbin. And they laugh about it. He gives the man the money. Before you know what's happening, everybody wants him to wash their cars. Then one day somebody says that, ah, I left my car here. My ring was inside. It's missing. They say, no. Who washed the maker? He says, it's not possible. Your ring was not there. If it was there and he found he would have given you, everybody will swear that no, we know him. I'm not doing washing cars. Such a person, if he tells you that I don't, I'm not care, I'm not worried about tomorrow. He's speaking by faith. Because you cannot speak by faith unless you are demonstrating faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness, they are the same thing. Please never forget it. That is what, okay, I'm back to that marriage matter again. Young woman, if you see a man talking faith to you, man, I believe God, and y'all believe God, and y'all believe God. It's believing God, he's 20 something. What are you doing now? I'm believing God. All you do is believing God. Okay, give and distance. Oh. Give and get restraining order. <laughs> Don't come closer than 10 meters away from me. Can kind of not believing God is that? Believing God, you are doing something. You are serious about something. Believing God, you are dependable. You don't have to be rich. Young woman, a man wants to marry, he doesn't have to have everything. If all he has is one small room, it doesn't matter. You can marry him as long as he's a responsible and busy man. If every time he needs money, go call him, Papa, please don't marry him. Please, I'm begging you in Jesus' name. I have never failed on this matter. We don't have money. Ah? So you get, oh, well, how are you doing? I say, ah, I'm broke. What's going on? My, my father hasn't sent money. Are you looking at him? You're finishing what he's You're broke. And it's not that the father, his father didn't give him money, but that he can open his stupid mouth and tell you that, oh, girl, I am broke because my father has not sent money. I know, you know what is, deceiving, what is deceiving you? His E-class that his father gave him. If you enter that car, he will drive you out of your destiny. I've told you now. When he said, ah, Angie, let me drop you somewhere. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. Don't worry. I'm believing God on this spot. Leave me here. God, Jesus said, occupy till I come. I'm occupied on this position until he comes. I'm not into your car. That shining car and the nice apartment he has, and he comes to church, and you know, he wears a nice ring, sits in front, and passes a record because of his offering. Is your destiny you are playing with. Please follow him, enter his keke and go out. He's okay. As long as he's responsible. When he says that, ah, he says, hey, he says, ah, let's, let's find a name for me for the guy. Angie's the girl. Who's the guy? Hmm? Okay, let's condemn it. Okay, yeah, the man that he can, a maker washing car. Yes, okay. He said, maker, you know, tomorrow is my birthday. He said, ah, my biggest car washing client is coming tomorrow, girl. I will see you later. You mean you want to, I will take your own after washing my car? You, will, you are not even romantic because I have to be monetic. I have to, <laughs> I have to, I have to wash this car. Okay, my father is not sending me money. This is where I'm getting money from. When you find such a man, please marry him. Don't worry about his small apartment. The father only goes out with keke. One day he will be the MD of Dangote Refinery. I can assure you. One day he will build his own. 
Now, to follow the plan, the plan of God for your life, number one rule, don't be afraid. That's the point I'm trying to make. Do not be afraid. That is number one. Don't be afraid that, ah, if I follow this path, you know, like ministries, a lot of pastors have started church because of fear. You say, the okay is confused again. When I say things, the guy will be like, what? Yes, a lot of pastors have started churches because of fear. And you're trying to wonder, how can somebody start church because of fear? Simply because they need a steady place where they have offering time, blessing time. I've seen it again and again. They will call it a base. Please, if you're a ministry, you don't have to have what we call a church. Kenneth Hagin that blesses us so much till today, even though he went up to be with the Lord years ago. He did not have it. He used to be a pastor of a church. And God told him for those first 12 years or so that he had not entered into the first phase of the ministry God had for him. It was 15 years after he entered. He started ministry around the age of 18 or so. It was 15 years after that he entered into phase one. And he was pastoring churches for 12 straight years. 12 straight years he was pastoring. What was he doing? I consider that that's the time he was learning. He was being trained. His real job was go from one church to another teaching the word. He could be in the church for three weeks at a go. Two weeks at a go. He used to be there for weeks. They would book him. You know how he used to get money? I like his testimony. God showed him how to pray. I think it was a unique kind of prayer for him. Some of us try to practice it. It hardly worked for most people. Yes, I don't go into that in details now. It didn't work for most people. He said, at the beginning of the week, you pray, how much do I need for this week? For those, it's be like $150. So he will pray. Some things he will say. He will utter some words, say some things. At the end of that week, you will have $150. He said there was a church he went to. He finished preaching. How they used to get money is that when you finish preaching, they don't say, please, there's a basket at the back, or they pass an offering plate, say, please, this is for our guest minister. So he had asked God for, I can't remember the exact sum, but let's just make it $200, just to make it easy to illustrate. So he had asked God for $200. When the pastor gave him the money, he counted it, it was $181. So the pastor's money is not complete. Count again. The pastor counted, 181. He said it's not complete. He counted, 181. Ah. He split the money in two. Count this half, I count this half. One person counted 90, the other person counted $91. He switched it around. He said, you, count this side, let me count. He, kept on. he said, this money is $200. That what the Lord told me, the way he will supply my need, I asked him for $200, and I know I'm getting $200. I told him, man, we're not going here. Until I get my $200. And they're just the two And he wasn't threatening the man with fire with gun. That let's look for it. That is somewhere. That is somewhere. The other pastor was like, what thing I go do now? This is the money. He said, no. He said, look, if the money is not here, then I have to go back to all the churches where I preach and testify. That, that there's something wrong. I lied. They said, we have to find it. They will count, count. That's the point I just remembered. Somebody gave me an envelope. He opened the envelope. $20 was inside. Complete. He just remembered, oh, one lady walked up to him after the service and said, oh, man of God, you've been a blessing over the years. Please, I want to give you this. So, and the person gave him, I think, an envelope. So he just remembered it, opened his Bible, brought it out, checked it. It was $20. Added to the 181 it was $21. He said, no, that's how it works. Thank the pastor and he left. That's how he used to get money. So there was a particular time his wife called him. It was an emergency at home. He needed double the usual. So he told the pastor that, look. So the pastor said, how much money do you expect from this uh, uh, that will give you at the end of the day? The guy, he told the pastor, don't worry yourself. 
The pastor said to him, please just tell me now so that I will know. He said, don't worry. I, I, don't, I don't discuss my money problems with anybody. So after the guy pressed him and pressed him and pressed him, he said, again, I can't remember the exact sum, but let's just assume he told him $500 for those days. He said, the man shouted, said, ah! Umar, why came here? We didn't get $500. <laughs> Yeah, the way you gave me it. We didn't get $500. Even that one, the highest we've ever gotten is $400. And I spoke for almost 30 minutes to beg the people. Can I say, Shibi, I told you, leave it. You are the one that pressed me. Let's make a long story short. He said to the man, please, just pass the offering plate and just say, this is for the guest minister. Don't say anything more than that. Don't pray about it. Don't believe God about it. Don't think about it. Please, let me do the praying myself. I'll make the story short. At the end of the day, they counted the offering. It was the exact amount plus a few extra dollars that I asked the Lord for. No, he had to exercise his faith on a daily basis. Some of us wanted to use that principle. We didn't know that our life is slightly different. I wanted to use our own. We say, Father God, this week I claim a Bentley. So we claimed the Bentley. <laughs> 20 years later, we have not received the Bentley. <laughs> like I told you, but if he, if he say, there's not this, they listen to me. The man who was giving you that testimony? Read his whole story. There are times his car, the tires will wear out entirely. Can't change the tires. So don't think you were just being reckless, believing God for every nonsense thing. You will have to pray a special prayer to change tires. You will have to pray a special prayer to change his car. One time he went and bought a very nice big car. I think a Lincoln. Everybody, they didn't know it was... They, uh, see, when you see people driving, maybe you say, man, don't assume that it's because he has too much money. Sometimes it's he he literal faith. He's, he prayed until one man just showed him favor. I will give you the lowest price on this and this amount of time you have to pay. All I need you to do is pay this every week. Some people say, ah, this man, why you get this kind of big car? He didn't have to tell them the story. But he made sure he paid the installment, what they call the payments, so he needed to believe God for him for maybe $30 extra for his car every week. So he would add that one to his prayer. Now listen to me, a lot of people couldn't do that or are not willing to. So they went and started a church. When he tried that, he collapsed and almost died. I don't want to go into that details now. A lot of people have started businesses they don't belong. I've seen people sometimes. There's a small risk that you'll be wrong in judging somebody else's matter. You know that. Okay? But let me just, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I can just illustrate. I've seen people start business and failed again and again. And I feel like saying that, come. What does God need to do to tell you you don't belong to this business thing? I'm not the perfect man. But one of the things I've done, my wife and I discussed yesterday evening. I know the reason why I'm in Enugu. The primary reason. And I'm very careful to make it the primary thing. And as of today, I think I'm falling behind. But at least I know. What am I going to say? Many of these we get ourselves involved in. They prevent us from the main thing. You see, we're going to start business. Why? They say you're a minister. Okay, fine. I don't have a problem with you starting business. Now, trying to build the business in the last few months... You have spent all your energy on the business more than on ministry. Can't you see that something's wrong? They say, Paul used to make tents. Have you heard that thing before? So every minister should be making tents. I don't have any problem with ministers who make tents. Do you get my point? I teach in the university. I don't have a problem with it. 
What I have a problem with is this lie we lie. That that's how Paul sustained himself. Go and read your Bible from just scanning it. He spent less than 5% of his life. 5% being a generous estimate, making tents. In fact, one particular one, he made tents until Timothy arrived. Then he stopped. I have found out you can't be effectively making tents and be effectively preaching in the evening, every evening. Preaching is not just when you stand here. Michael Johnson, one of the best runners the world ever saw, they told him, you know, they used to say that life is not a sprint, life is a marathon. You remember that? You've heard that thing before? Michael Johnson said, because he was a sprint person, he used to do 200 and 400. Yeah. So he's not really a long distance person. He's an intermediate to short, short to intermediate runner. He said he thinks life is a sprint. He said, what do you mean? He said, because in a sprint, you are practicing most of the time, but they give you just a few seconds to show what you have practiced over weeks. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Now, don't tell me life is not a sprint. I know it's not just a bust. The whole thing is not a bust. But to be able to do my sprint in 20 seconds for 200 meters, I have to run hours, hours, hours. What am I saying? The minister, you said, should go and look for work. If he spends that energy looking for that work, he can't bless you the way he should. People sometimes in trying to be nice to me, they say, ah, Pastor, just be doing what you are doing in my mind. You think you are wishing me well. You don't know what I am doing. Just enjoy the message I'm preaching to you. Just leave it there. In my mind, just leave it there. This advice you are giving me is not called for. Just enjoy what I'm preaching to you. You know what I am doing? You actually don't know it. You don't know where I'm failing. You don't. You don't know what I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing. I, <laughs> let, let's just say you don't know what's going on. There was a time I got distracted. And the Lord was looking at me. This boy, I will enjoy you. I didn't notice. So he cast me on the bed of affliction. Three weeks later when I rose up, I uttered like David. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I obey your word. A month later, worship and self-control was ready. A book that it took me eight years. I started it eight years before. I never finished it. When I rose up from my bed of affliction, in one month, worship and self-control was ready. You'll have to be doing what you are doing. But worship and self-control wasn't out. You did not know. You didn't know. A few weeks later, we walked by faith. It was ready. We have not released this since. It's ready now. It's, in fact, the, 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 um, they should hit the press this week. All right? And by next week, I think um, the... The, the, the soft copy should be online. All right? Walk by faith. You see, so when we come at it, I say, look, just enjoy me. Don't stop telling me between what you are doing. You don't know what I'm doing. You, that is, you have no idea. You don't know whether I'm doing it well. <laughs> or no, I'm doing it badly. I was telling my wife yesterday. I said, okay, I think I'm behind. Say, what do, I, I, I said, look, there are four books that are supposed to be out here now. That they are not out. The book of, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is supposed to be ready. It's only one third done. I keep on mentioning to you, why not visions? Why not visions? I've only written it in talk. So it's supposed to be circulating. There's work to do. You get my so when you are telling preachers, uh, tent making is not good. If you see anybody making tents, feel sorry for him. It's taking something away from effectiveness. When Paul would teach every day for two years. You are wicked if you want him to make tents in the morning. 
When you finish preaching the word, I told you one day it was in Portacot. That's the one, that's the one we came from Undo. I think I remember. Drove, I finished, I don't know why that night I didn't eat much or I didn't eat. Next morning, because I woke up, I was tired, I woke up late, went and preached. So I, I didn't eat again in the morning. I rushed to the, the, into the hall. By 9 I started preaching. By 1 o'clock, I was still standing preaching. And I thought I was having a heart attack. <laughs> you know I'm a doctor. <laughs> ah, that just pain gripped me like this. So, I, I, and I was still preaching, you know, but people didn't know I was doing like this. It was my pulse I was checking. I don't know if I have a heart attack. It will become fast and thready. I was feeling tired. I wasn't feeling, but the pain wasn't funny. So I was preaching, my hand was on my wrist. I was checking, saying, well, you don't die? No, I never die. See the head. Anyway, I, I was preaching. <laughs> I was still preaching. After a while, oh boy. I, just, I, I, I finished what I was saying. He went and sat down. I was checking my pulse. My pulse was steady. Tap, tap, tap. It wasn't high. It was strong. I'm not having a heart attack. What is going on? That was when he hit me. Yam head. You have not eaten since yesterday. Actually, I had forgotten. I was dehydrated. I had not eaten since the day before. That since the, the previous day. So between my stomach and my diaphragm, because when you speak, your diaphragm keeps pushing down. Between my stomach and my diaphragm, they were now tired. I said, Pastor, easy now. You know when the person did back and he was talking, he just fell down. He was just talking like this. Next to the man just he just went down. Bam! They rushed, carried him. Rushed the man to hospital, checked everything, checked everything. There was nothing wrong with him. Finally, the doctor decided that he was dehydrated. So they rushed him. They were just rushing fluids, fluids into him. So he would come and start saying, so I just look and said, look, I can't talk now. We are streaming. No. But why did I go into all of that? Just to let us know that sometimes, eh, people become afraid. And I'm saying to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just bear that in mind. Just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I said there are three things, right? Number one, don't be afraid for your life. Avoid human wisdom. That's the number one. Just explain it. Avoid trying to use human wisdom to secure your future. It doesn't exist. I say it again. Don't say that if you are a cult minister or whatever it is you are called to do in life, don't leave it till it's convenient. Don't leave your main assignment in life till it's convenient. Don't bury your talent. A young woman met me once. I was in a, went to teach in Oka. Young lady, just finished school. She was speaking with me. Showed me her craft. She was, you know, skilled, an artist. She said that she's not from a well-to-do home, that she uses artwork to pay most of her expenses through school. I said, what? This is beautiful. At that time, I think she was doing NYS, or about to start NYS, or just finished. One of just around that axis of time. The counsel I gave her is what I want to repeat. So you're going to look for work? She said, yes. I said, please, whatever work you take, it must not take you away from this skill, the use of this skill. Because many people get jobs, fantastic jobs, paying heavily. They start work by 7 in the morning, come back at 8 p.m. The money is good. They start you as a young lady on 400k a month, within a year or two, you reach 1.5 million, you are traveling all over the world, or you have not painted one thing. And that's the problem with money, to attract you and distract you. I told her, please, whatever job they're offering, you put this thing in mind. 
tell yourself in your mind, I must have at least. That's one reason, when I finished my residence those days, people say, ah, you won't go and look for money. Because things were rough. I'm be honest with you. Things were really, really rough financially. So when I told some people, I remember a particular family I told I was going to, I was, I was going to apply to work. Lasso, that's Lagos State University, was just starting their college of medicine. So I went to apply for a job there as a lecturer. And lecturers were extremely poorly paid. Why do you think Asu is on strike? Now, partly because they used to end very, very badly. So when I remember I told those people, I still remember the look on their faces. Made up their mind that this guy has no plans for prosperity. In this country, that was that time, that was 99. In this country, you go and look for work as a university lecturer. They didn't know what I was thinking. But in my mind, no, no, I'm a preacher. I just wanted to do something else on the side. That's what the university lecturing job is about. That, no, the, the, main, the primary assignment is to preach. It's one reason those days, people say, ah, if you go to the, if you go abroad, I say, I can't go. You don't get it. I have a job to do. When I first came to Enugu, I had opportunities. Ah, you go abroad for three months. I said, I'm just starting the ministry. I'll leave you for three months. What's wrong with you people? In my mind, though. On the surface, yes, sir. Yeah, that's true. See, you're a young man. You're intelligent. You look like you have a brilliant future. I know, too. But, <laughs> but what you call brilliant future is abandon the main reason why I came to town. No, I'm sorry. I can't. I told the young lady that day, I said, please, whatever you do, this thing must have time. When we first went on radio, one guy got my number. He used to call me periodically. We lost touch after some time. He was working those days in a bank at Newey, I think. And he used to tell me that anytime he hears me preach, he knows what I'm doing is exactly what he's supposed to be doing. According to David Pawson, my gift resonates vibrates him. So he will call and he explain. I'm a believer. I'm called to teach. When I hear you talk, this I just hear myself talking. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I said, why don't you do it? Why are you not doing it? Say he works in a bank. Why don't you resign from the job? Go and get another job. Go and work in a school where you can close at 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock. Go and do something like I do. He said, I don't understand. What is it that I don't understand? He said that he has family responsibilities. You've heard my story there. It sounds, you know, it sounds noble, but it's evil. The Lord is a jealous God. Once your family is more important to you than him, you bring a curse upon yourself and that family. That's not a joke. Remember the story I told you of a friend of my childhood friend? He came to see me then I was in Lagos, and he was traveling abroad. I mean, we are age mates. Grew up together, you know, this kind of boys. We used to go and play basketball together those days, you know. You know, it was one that taught me to play basketball, actually, you know, around the, that, uh, at a particular period. Yeah. We're childhood friends. But he, start, he finished medicine years after I did, because he had a first degree. He did medicine as a second degree. So I, for that reason, I was a few years ahead of him. So when he came to see me, I was a resident, he just finished his house job. You know, I said, he's traveling. Ah, why? He said, he told me family issues and all that, something that I didn't know about. I said, ah, okay, I didn't know. So that's why he has to go and look for money. Somebody has to come up with the money and all of that. When he finished, I realized how wicked I was. But I've been believing God, believing God, believing God, you know, trusting God. God, I did not think about people who depended on me, people I could bless, my family I could affect and all of that. This was the first person to open my eyes to it. And when he left, I started crying. I'm not joking. I laid down and I wept. I wept and said, Lord God, how could I be like this? 
How could I be so, like they say, so myopic? Why couldn't I think beyond myself? All I was thinking of, I'm going to preach one day. No, this is where God placed me. I'm going to run a ministry. I'm going to teach the word. I was already writing material. Like I told you, choices. You know, I wrote it that time. I've written a lot of articles. The book is still in my house. Every understanding I have, I write it down. I sign it. I still have the book. One hard-covered book. I filled it cover, 80 page leaves, cover to cover. There's one um, diary, you know, these big diaries that banks and companies give to us. I filled it with writing. I'll go to church. I went to church once. Pastor preached. I wanted to book the tape. They said, sorry, the tape recorder was not good. Next Sunday, I came. Pastor preached. I went to book the tape. The tape recorder is still not good. Ah, uh-uh. two days of hot teaching. I went back home, closed my eyes, and wrote at least 20 pages remembering the things he said in the last two services. I had to write it. I said, what's wrong with these people? I had to write it down. The first Sunday, I brought the tape recorder and went to church. That's what I was doing with my life. Until my friend finished this thing with me. And I said, I realized how useless I was. I couldn't be a blessing to people because I, was, I didn't have the money. And I was not even looking for it. That's why I felt so bad. So I laid down that day and I wept and wept. You know, this is our Lord. Go and read my book, Don't Quit the Army. What you expect him to do? Come and hug you. My son, don't worry. I have a great plan for your life. I will do you good in due season. I'm a faithful God. I'm the God of your ancestors like Abraham. I'm God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. My Holy Spirit is your comforter. Is that not a good way to respond if you're a good father? Abby? Mm-hmm. See, there are two ways. God is a father and Jesus is a Lord. Okay, then. Yes. Lords don't do like that. Lords know they hug you. The only thing he said, I remember it clearly. The word dropped clearly in my ears. He said, except a man hates his father and mother, he can't be my disciple. It's the only thing I heard. Oh boy, now I clean my tears, I sat up. See all this one you are doing? I'm sorry, it doesn't fly. Except you hate your father, your mother, your family, you cannot be my disciple. That was the only thing. That's why Oswald Chambers said, discipleship is not what it costs you. It says the cost on those that you love. When they dragged Mary, come and remove your son, he has gone mad. And she followed. There was a reason. It was terrible. That is, they had, Mary was visited by an angel. Don't forget that. Yet, so she knew, she, the Bible says she kept these things in her heart. Yet one day they came, that is, Jesus had, his walking on the earth, had put so much pressure on them, they were able to come and tell her, come and get this boy back home, I think he has lost his senses. And she followed. That day I remember, as soon as that, dro- that word dropped in my ears, I gently got up and went back to my normal life. This idea, you think you can have a plan to secure your future. People tell me that I want to start a business. I remember one brother told me that. Anointed, anointed, anointed. Told me that 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, about 32 years ago. Till today, I can't produce a tape recording that is the one that preached here. Or the two lines that he wrote, teaching the scriptures. My friends used to laugh at me that those is one of my friends came one day as a bank. Two of we were a trio of guys, you know. We so move around, go everywhere. He said, he said, two, that, he said two of us have decided that you never buy a car. Ah. I said, which kind of curse is this one? It is a for person. He said, no, 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 it's not a curse, it's not a curse. It's just that you don't need it. What will you do with it? You don't go anywhere. 
They were trying to mock me. That you don't, that is, one with, does it hustle for something now? I say, I beg. <laughs> what? My mind is that that's not what life is. In due season, when I now moved to Lagos after my NYC, Lagos did me, no, God used Lagos to teach me. It's like, God used Lagos to teach me. I found that those who were rich were not harder working than those who were poor. I saw it. I saw boys use my salary as a doctor, post NYC was 5,000 naira a month. I saw boys make phone calls. I ran two deals, collect 35,000 naira with negotiation. Their bill was 50K. I saw people make 70. Now, I, I keep on giving reference because if you use today's naira, you will miss it. So that's I tell you that I just finished NYC as a young medical doctor. My salary in the month was 5000 So a man would sit on the table. Somebody just says, ah, please, you have this dollar to sell. Okay. All right, just make two phone calls. This man is selling for 71 He tells the other people, you can get, I can give it to you for 72 They transfer the money. He pockets 70000 naira. Ah. And we'll go out in the evening. My whole month's salary. My auntie used to buy us snacks to eat. And said, please, let me test this suit. I put it on my shoulder like this. Oh, it's a bit too big. Oh, ah, I need to change it. I have to send it back to Amsterdam. Now look at the suit. And I have to work for three complete months. And not remove one cobble to pay for this suit. And that's the suit, not the shoes. The shoes was five months to ten months income. And I saw my friends working three jobs a day because they wanted to buy a car. So I told the Lord, please, if you don't want to bless me, you can keep the money. But as for labor for it like this, I will never do it. It's a useless life. I said, God, if you want to bless me, bless me. I said, if you don't want to, just don't give me a wife. I can go hungry, don't worry. It's not a big deal. I just don't want any wife or children crying on my neck. And I wasn't joking. I meant it literally. Because I said, no, I won't labor for food that perishes. If you want to give, so I now found out that God gives. And God gave Job twice what he had before. It was a gift. And God said to David, when he was that is rebuking him for Uriah's matter, told him the things he gave. He said, If you had wanted more, I would have given you. Huh? I say it's gifts. He gives. So if I did anything, all I do is I pray. The only reason I won't get is if I change my mind. I've told him, I'm not joking about it. If I decide that God. If I have to travel too much and they keep wasting my time in effort and I, I get to my say, God, send me a private plane that can carry like seven people. I will ask him for it. And I, I'm not even doubting. No, it's not like, <laughs> it will, I won't exercise any faith. I'll just ask it and leave it there. And for sure, it will come. I don't even have it, you know. I don't even have a shadow of doubt about it. Because I found that there is nothing material God cannot give. There is no, nothing. Let me begin to round off this. Three things I said. Number one, don't be afraid for your life. Avoid human wisdom. That's the number one. Concerning securing your future, concerning securing your life. Number two, time will not allow me to develop this much today, I think. Don't look for glory for yourself. Don't ever forget that. Don't look for glory for yourself. If you want to follow God's plan for your life, mind these things. Number one, don't be afraid for your life. Number two, don't look for glory for yourself. Don't. 
Because it affects the choice. The choices you make. You, it will affect the choice concerning, you know, your decisions concerning what you are going to do. A man said that he knows that God did not call him to start a church. So why did you do that, sir? He said, because everywhere he goes, they put pastors in front. He realized that his ministry was not appreciated. So he started a church just to get that respect. So he needed to be a pastor of Kingdom World Church, Enugu. That was, he said that was just the reason he did what he did. That's not the name of his church. I just used our ministry so that it took me like I'm pointing at somebody. When I started Kingdom World that time, one of my friends, when I was giving his, my plans and all of that, he looked at me and said, Banky, start a church. I said, why? He said, men will not respect you. It's only when you're a pastor of a particular church that you'll be respected. I was shocked because this was my senior in school. I answered him anyway. I said, I'm not starting, I'm not doing it for respect. I told him straight. I said, I'm not doing it for respect. Remember, it's important you get this principle right because most decisions, like I said, the leading of the Spirit will come mostly from making right decisions. Not from the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's from making right, godly decisions. That's why the lead, where the leading of the Spirit comes from most of the times. What people call your spirit, my spirit spoke to me. Forget that thing. Don't be impressed. I'm sorry. I'm not typical Pentecostal preacher in that area. My spirit said it's your problem. It doesn't move me. You know why? I know what your spirit means. Your spirit does not mean, it's not the same that the spirit of God. That's why please go and read the book, Guided by the Spirit. Inside it, I explained that you have to purge your spirit. Because anytime you say your spirit is speaking, many things are spirit speaking. One of them is the spirit of God. Added to that is your fears. Your anxieties. All of those is put together is what they call your spirit. So my spirit said, mm, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. That's why I say to you, it's more important you understand and know God, the presence of God, than you hear him. People will practice how to hear God. I say, this is my own teaching from scripture. Paul said, according to my gospel, according to my teaching, I tell you this. It is not an important assignment. Learn how to obey God. Learn the precepts of God. The voice of God is not important. Suppose what do you mean? Learning to hear it is not important. God does not speak to people. He does. I used to hear that God only speaks in a still small voice. Then somebody pointed to me the other day. That's not true. Amos said, the Lord thunders from Zion. It's not a still small voice. His voice is like the sound of many waters. How did we get to that? Just got stuck on that still small voice thing. He said, the Lord roars from Zion. When Amos heard God, it was loud. When he spoke to Jesus, the people thought it thundered. When he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Only those of faith heard it. But everybody has heard the crashing of thunder. But those who had the spirit said, they heard it. John heard it. What he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Everybody has heard thunder, lightning. That's what he heard. It was visible. His voice vibrated the airwaves. The Bible says he even broke the cedars in Lebanon. Sometimes he talks so loud, a young boy thinks it must be Eli. Then Eli said, I didn't say anything. He came and said, sir, she just called me. This man is getting dementia. He called, he has forgotten. Eli said, I didn't see anything. This time around, Samuel is kept awake. He said, this old man will not run me mental. Samuel, Samuel. He said, all of you heard it too. Very soon he will deny it now. So he went there and said, sir, you called me. So I said, hey, I, 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 okay. leave that in. You called me. I, I, I didn't sleep. I wanted, to, I wanted to be sure. 
I was awake. I heard it. At that point, I mean, I sat up. This sounds exactly like me. Well, you're the only other old man in the house, actually. Let's just be honest about that. So it's not exactly my voice. He said, not really, but I mean, who else will it be? So okay, go back and lie down. Now he will call you again, and this is how you respond. Now what am I going to say? The Lord thunders from his temple. He roars from his temple. Forget this thing that you only speak in the still small voice. Except your spirit is clear, it's still. You won't hear it. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not accurate. It's not accurate. What should you spend your energy on? Learning his precepts. Learning what pleases him. And practicing that which you have learned. When you do that, when you do that, you will be able to discern his will. His will can be understood. Do not be conformed with this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you will understand what the will of God is. His will can be understood. Then when he has to speak, he knows the one he will use that you will hear clearly. Sometimes he will come tap you physically. And the angel will say, the Lord said I should tell you something. A man said he was walking one day, he was at the airport. Then somebody walked up to him. He was looking at the fellow. He said, this guy looks regal. You could see the, the aura of royalty around him. He was wearing a suit. The guy sat beside him, talked to him. He dropped a book. On the cover of the book was an instruction for him. He read it. Just look at the cover. Read what was inside there. The man put the book in his briefcase and walked away. And he knew an angel just gave him a message from the Lord. Neville Johnson said one day he was about to take a cup of coffee. And his wife called him and said, Neville, he said, what is it? He says, an angel here wants to see you. He won't talk to me. So Neville dropped his coffee and came out. And saw an angel talking with him, standing in front of his wife. And the, the angel said to him, your attention is, he gave him a, a, a piece of paper. So he opened the piece of paper and there was an instruction in it. So he said, okay. He went back and finished his cup of coffee. Then he dropped that paper. The paper turned to smoke and vanished. You think God does not know how to get your attention? He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. Sometimes he waits till you have slept. Since all these pleasures of this life will not let you rest. Go and fall asleep first. In your dream, you will not appear. So how to hear his voice? Leave that thing. Just learn how to obey him, whatever comes. The ones he has written, practice it. Practice it. This your spirit you have been hearing has caused you more confusion than clarity, you know. You've tried to use to harass us. People come to me that time and say, oh, did God speak to you concerning the wife you married? Did I see visions? No. Did a voice drop from down from heaven? No. I told them, one brother said, did he speak? I said, yes, he did. He said, well, how did you hear it? I said, he said, I pronounce you man and wife. The guy, fell, he fell down with laughter. I said, my friend, I married the girl I liked. It sounds so unspiritual. I said, it's very spiritual. The question is, what kind of girl did you like? That's the question. That's the question. As a young man, if you did not show respect for things of the spirit, you couldn't be my friend. If you like, fine, like, nefertiti, that didn't matter to me. You had to show respect for spiritual things. And number two, it was crucial to me that you showed respect for my ability to instruct. It was, very, it was crucial because I didn't want to look. I, it, it mattered to me that you showed respect for the call of God upon my life. I couldn't marry a wife that was not my disciple. It wasn't possible. We can argue on the color of the wall in the house. Or whether you should buy a Nissan or Toyota. It's okay. That's not the word of God. 
When I bring out scripture, my wife has never, 23 years almost now, opposed what I say from scripture. Never. You say, I, I, listen, you, and it's not out of fear. I fear to disagree. It's just because I'm a, I'm a number one teacher. The day she told me, I was just, we're just teasing shortly after we married. Now, I was telling stories like uh, Kenneth Hagin, uh, David Oyedeko. Uh, what's the name of the other man? No, 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 no. My mother was there. No, there was not too much in my life that time. Um, John G. Lake. I was saying, all that and I said, who has been blessed you the most in this life? But in fact, it was not up to a year because we're still in Lagos. A year later, we're in Enugu. She thought and thought and thought. She said, I think it has been you. I'm like, well, what? Excuse me? Ah. Now I don't teach her again. That time it was Bible class every morning after night. I didn't have any other person to teach. Now, what do I go do now? The one where I cash call. I don't cash this one. <laughs> I don't catch this one. So, this one where I catch that. The one where I see now. This is my congregation. I taught her everything. Ah! When Pastor Corey was getting married, Pastor Corey got married in March. I got married in December. All right? So, she was in Benin. Pastor Corey was getting married, married in Benin. Of course, they, of course they, all, they all knew about our relationship and everything. So, that evening, during the traditional ceremony, everything, of course, it was busy. Finally, the first moment I had the loan, two of us to talk. So she sat on the car outside the event center, you know, just sat on the car. Ah, so, okay, how have you been? You know, I, wanted to, I didn't say, how have you been? I said, okay, how now? <laughs> See, there's something I wanted to teach you. She said, I don't want to hear. <laughs> I was shocked. What do you mean you don't want to hear? I brought the word of God from Lagos. You don't want to hear it. <laughs> That's why she said, the only thing I ever do is teach. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. She said, the only thing I ever did was teach. Then when last did I see her? You know, there was no phone call like this these days. And that was some, some weeks ago. I've not asked how she has been since. Hey, but look at you now. You're looking fine. How has you been? I mean, so the first, so the first thing you are telling me after seeing me, not seeing me in weeks, is you want to teach me something. Yeah, it's what I just learned also. You know, I, I brought it. It was, it was hot, fresh. I still remember the topic, ratification of covenants. I still remember it. How covenants are ratified. <laughs> I couldn't marry a woman who was not my disciple. Now, I'm just using now to explain something to us. Most of our decisions in life, it's not as if God, look, God uses signs and wonders. He does. I don't have time now to show you how where God confirms some things. You know, even she, she had to pray. Ah, you just give your life to one after Jesus Christ. The next guy is one black guy. That, you know, It's not easy now. She also had to pray and God shows signs and all of that. We know. But the primary thing I'm trying to say is that most of your decisions are made by understanding the mind of God. Bear that in mind. When they were going to choose a replacement for Judas, they didn't just go around casting lots. They first had to follow certain criteria. In following those criteria, it remained just two people. Then they pray, say, God, you know the hearts of man. So let's bear that in mind. Most of our decisions will come from making godly decisions. So it's important you don't look for glory for yourself. If you keep on looking for glory for yourself, your spirit will tell you to do things it's not supposed to do. Your spirit will tell you to start a church, like I was telling you, because people say you need respect. Don't look for glory for yourself. What you call your spirit is nothing but your passion, your drive, your sense of calling, all of those things. But God will use them. Maybe I'll come back, that, down to, back to that later. And the third one I said is what? Don't make long-term plans. Because of the time, I'm going to end it here. If God allows, I'll go on again from this particular point, this long-term plan issue, and then explain the principle, the law of faithfulness, and waiting. Because God has planned your life, you cannot skim your life into what God has planned for you. 
You can't. You can't plan it. You can't. There's, it's not so, you see, you don't know it. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. Neither has he entered into the heart of man. The thing that God has planned for those that love him. So what God has planned for you, don't even know it. He's the one you are seeing, you are pursuing. Let's give thanks. Let's say, Lord, we thank you. Let's just stop it here for time's sake.